chapter seventeenth of the heart of midlothian by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by dion gines salt lake city utah you have paid the heavens your function and the prisoner the very debt of your calling measure for measure genie deans for here our story unites itself with that part of the narrative which broke off at the end of the fourteenth chapter while she waited in terror and amazement the hasty advance of three or four men towards her was yet more startled at their suddenly breaking asunder and giving chase in different directions to the late object of her terror who became at that moment though she could not well assign a reasonable cause rather the cause of her interest one of the party it was sharpetlaw came straight up to her and saying your name is jeanie deans and you are my prisoner immediately added but if you will tell me which way he ran i will let you go i dinna ken sir was all the poor girl could utter and indeed it is the phrase which rises most readily to the lips of any person in her rank as the readiest reply to any embarrassing question but said sharpetlaw ye ken what it was ye were speaking with my lady on the hillside and midnight so near ye surely ken that my bonny woman i dinna ken sir again iterated jeanie who really did not comprehend in her terror the nature of the questions which were so hastily put to her in this moment of surprise we will try to mend your memory by and by hinny said sharpetlaw and shouted as we have already told the reader to ratcliffe to come up and take charge of her while he himself directed the chase after robertson which he still hoped might be successful as ratcliffe approached sharpetlaw pushed the young woman towards him with some rudeness and betaking himself to the more important object of his quest began to scale crags and scramble up steep banks with an agility of which his profession and his general gravity of demeanour would previously have argued him incapable in a few minutes there was no one within sight and only a distant halloo from one of the pursuers to the other faintly heard on the side of the hill argued that there was any one within hearing jeanie deans was left in the clear moonlight standing under the guard of a person of whom she knew nothing and what was worse concerning whom as the reader is well aware she could have learned nothing that would not have increased her terror when all in the distance was silent ratcliffe for the first time addressed her and it was in that cold sarcastic indifferent tone familiar to habitual depravity whose crimes are instigated by custom rather than by passion this is a braw night for ye dearie he said attempting to pass his arm across her shoulder to be on the green hill with your joe jeanie extricated herself from his grasp but did not make any reply i think lads and lasses continued the ruffian dinna meet at mushet's cairn at midnight to crack nuts and he again attempted to take hold of her if ye are an officer of justice sir said jeanie again eluding his attempt to seize her ye deserve to have your coat stripped from your back very true hinny said he succeeding forcibly in his attempt to get hold of her but suppose i should strip your cloak off first ye are more a man i am sure than to hurt me sir said jeanie for god's sake have pity on a half-distracted creature come come said ratcliffe 
you're a good-looking wench and should not be cross-grained i was going to be an honest man but the devil has this very day flung first a lawyer and then a woman in my gate i'll tell you what jeanie they are out on the hillside if you'll be guided by me i'll carry you to a wee bit corner in the pleasance that i ken of in an old wife's that all the procurators of scotland wot nothing of and we'll send robertson word to meet us in yorkshire for there is a set of braw lads about the midland counties that i have done business with before now and so we'll leave mr sharpetlaw to whistle on his thumb it was fortunate for jeanie in an emergency like the present that she possessed presence of mind and courage so soon as the first hurry of surprise had enabled her to rally her recollection she saw the risk she was in from a ruffian who not only was such by profession but had that evening been stupefying by means of strong liquors the internal aversion which he felt at the business on which sharpetlaw had resolved to employ him dinna speak so loud said she in a low voice he's up yonder who robertson said ratcliffe eagerly ay replied jeanie up yonder and she pointed to the ruins of the hermitage and chapel by god then said ratcliffe i'll make my own of him either one way or other wait for me here but no sooner had he set off as fast as he could run towards the chapel than jeanie started in an opposite direction over high and low on the nearest path homeward her juvenile exercise as a herdswoman had put life and metal in her heels and never had she followed dusty foot when the cows were in the corn with half so much speed as she now cleared the distance betwixt mushat's cairn and her father's cottage at st leonard's to lift the latch to enter to shut bolt and double bolt the door to draw against it a heavy article of furniture which she could not have moved in a moment of less energy so as to make yet farther provision against violence was almost the work of a moment yet done with such silence as equalled the celerity her next anxiety was upon her father's account and she drew silently to the door of his apartment in order to satisfy herself whether he had been disturbed by her return he was awake probably had slept but little but the constant presence of his own sorrows the distance of his apartment from the outer door of the house and the precautions which jeanie had taken to conceal her departure and return had prevented him from being sensible of either he was engaged in his devotions and jeanie could distinctly hear him use these words as for the other child thou hast given me to be a comfort and stay to my old age may her days be long in the land according to the promise thou hast given to those who shall honour father and mother may all her purchased and promised blessings be multiplied upon her keep her in the watches of the night and in the uprising of the morning that all in this land may know that thou hast not utterly hid thy face from those that seek thee in truth and in sincerity he was silent but probably continued his petition in the strong fervency of mental devotion his daughter retired to her apartment comforted that while she was exposed to danger her head had been covered by the prayers of the just as by an helmet and under the strong confidence that while she walked worthy of the protection of heaven she would experience its countenance it was at that moment that a vague idea first darted across her mind that something might yet be achieved 
for her sister's safety conscious as she now was of her innocence of the unnatural murder with which she stood charged it came as she described it on her mind like a sunblink on a stormy sea and although it instantly vanished yet she felt a degree of composure which she had not experienced for many days and could not help being strongly persuaded that by some means or other she would be called upon and directed to work out her sister's deliverance she went to bed not forgetting her usual devotions the more fervently made on account of her late deliverance and she slept soundly in spite of her agitation we must return to ratcliffe who had started like a greyhound from the slips when the sportsman cries halloo as soon as jeanie had pointed to the ruins whether he meant to aid robertson's escape or to assist his pursuers may be very doubtful perhaps he did not himself know but had resolved to be guided by circumstances he had no opportunity however of doing either for he had no sooner surmounted the steep ascent and entered under the broken arches of the reins than a pistol was presented at his head and a harsh voice commanded him in the king's name to surrender himself prisoner mr sharpetlaw said ratcliffe surprised is this your honour is it only you and be damned to you answered the fiscal still more disappointed what made you leave the woman she told me she saw robertson go into the ruins so i made what haste i could to cleek the callant it's all over now said sharpetlaw we shall see no more of him to-night but he shall hide himself in a bean-hole if he remains on scottish ground without my finding him call back the people ratcliffe ratcliffe hollowed to the dispersed officers who willingly obeyed the signal for probably there was no individual among them who would have been much desirous of a rencontre hand to hand and at such a distance from his comrades with such an active and desperate fellow as robertson and where are the two women said sharpetlaw both made their heels serve them i suspect replied ratcliffe and he hummed the end of the old song then hey play up the wren away bride for she has taken the gee one woman said sharpetlaw for like all rogues he was a great calumniator of the fair sex one woman is enough to dark the fairest ploy that was ever planned and how could i be such an ass as to expect to carry through a job that had two in it but we know how to come by them both if they are wanted and that's one good thing accordingly like a defeated general sad and sulky he led back his discomfited forces to the metropolis and dismissed them for the night the next morning early he was under the necessity of making his report to the sitting magistrate of the day the gentleman who occupied the chair of office on this occasion for the baileys anglis alderman take it by rotation chanced to be the same by whom butler was committed a person very generally respected among his fellow-citizens something he was of a humorist and rather deficient in general education but acute patient and upright possessed of a fortune acquired by honest industry which made him perfectly independent and in short very happily qualified to support the respectability of the office which he held mr middleborough had just taken his seat and was debating with an animated manner with one of his colleagues the doubtful chances of a game at golf which they had played the day before when a letter was delivered to him addressed for bailey middleborough these to be forwarded with speed it contained these words sir i know you to be a sensible 
and a considerate magistrate and one who as such will be content to worship god though the devil bid you i therefore expect that notwithstanding the signature of this letter acknowledges my share in an action which in a proper time and place i would not fear either to avow or to justify you will not on that account reject what evidence i place before you the clergyman butler is innocent of all but involuntary presence at an action which he wanted spirit to approve of and from which he endeavoured with his best set phrases to dissuade us but it was not for him that it is my hint to speak there is a woman in your jail fallen under the edge of a law so cruel that it has hung by the wall like unsecured armour for twenty years and is now brought down and wetted to spill the blood of the most beautiful and most innocent creature whom the walls of a prison ever girdled in her sister knows of her innocence as she communicated to her that she was betrayed by a villain oh that high heaven would put in every honest hand a whip to scourge me such a villain through the world i write distractedly but this girl this genie deans is a peevish puritan superstitious and scrupulous after the manner of her sect and i pray your honour for so my phrase must go to press upon her that her sister's life depends upon her testimony but though she should remain silent do not dare to think that the young woman is guilty far less to permit her execution remember the death of wilson was fearfully avenged and those yet live who can compel you to drink the dregs of your poisoned chalice i say remember porteus and say that you had good counsel from one of his slayers the magistrate read over this extraordinary letter twice or thrice at first he was tempted to throw it aside as the production of a madman so little did the scraps from playbooks as he termed the poetical quotation resemble the correspondence of a rational being on a reperusal however he thought that amid its incoherence he could discover something like a tone of awakened passion though expressed in a manner quaint and unusual it is a cruelly severe statute said the magistrate to his assistant and i wish the girl could be taken from under the letter of it a child may have been born and it may have been conveyed away while the mother was insensible or it may have perished for want of that relief which the poor creature herself helpless terrified distracted despairing and exhausted may have been unable to afford to it and yet it is certain if the woman is found guilty under the statute execution will follow the crime has been too common and examples are necessary but if this other wench said the city clerk can speak to her sister communicating her situation it will take the case from under the statute very true replied the bailey and i will walk out one of these days to st leonard's and examine the girl myself i know something of their father deans an old true blue cameronian who would see house and family go to wreck ere he would disgrace his testimony by a sinful complying with the defections of the times and such he will probably uphold the taking an oath before a civil magistrate if they are to go on and flourish with their bull-headed obstinacy the legislature must pass an act to take their affirmations as in the case of quakers but surely neither a father nor a sister will scruple in a case of this kind as i said before i will go speak with them myself 
when the hurry of this porteous investigation is somewhat over their pride and spirit of contradiction will be far less alarmed than if they were called into a court of justice at once and i suppose butler is to remain incarcerated said the city clerk for the present certainly said the magistrate but i hope soon to set him at liberty upon bail do you rest upon the testimony of that light-headed letter asked the clerk not very much answered the bailey and yet there is something striking about it too it seems the letter of a man beside himself either from great agitation or from some great sense of guilt yes said the town clerk it is very like the letter of a mad strolling play-actor who deserves to be hanged with all the rest of his gang as your honour justly observes i was not quite so bloodthirsty continued the magistrate but to the point butler's private character is excellent and i am given to understand by some inquiries i have been making this morning that he did actually arrive in town only the day before yesterday so that it was impossible he could have been concerned in any previous machinations of these unhappy rioters and it is not likely that he should have joined them on a suddenty there's no saying anent that zeal catches fire at a slight spark as fast as a brunstane match observed the secretary i have kenned a minister would be fair good day and fair good even will ilk a man in the parishine and hing just as quiet as a rocket on a stick till ye mentioned the word abjuration oath or patronage or sick like and then whiz he was off and up in the air an hundred miles beyond common manners common sense and common comprehension i do not understand answered the burgher magistrate that the young man butler's zeal is of so inflammable a character but i will make farther investigation what other business is there before us and they proceeded to minute investigations concerning the affair of porteus's death and other affairs through which this history has no occasion to trace them in the course of their business they were interrupted by an old woman of the lower rank extremely haggard in look and wretched in her appearance who thrust herself into the council-room what do you want good wife who are you said bailey middleborough what do i want replied she in a sulky tone i want my bairn or i want nothing from none of ye for as grands ye are and she went on muttering to herself with the wayward spitefulness of age they maun have lordships and honours no doubt set them up the gutter-bloods and devil a gentleman among them then again addressing the sitting magistrate will your honour give me back my poor crazy bairn his honour i have kenned the day when less would served him the one of a camp-fair skipper good woman said the magistrate to this shrewish supplicant tell us what it is you want and do not interrupt the court that's as muckle as till say bark botty and be done with it i tell ye raising her termagant voice i want my bairn is not that braid scots who are you who is your bairn demanded the magistrate what am i what should i be but meg murdockson and what should my bairn be but magdalen burdockson your guard soldiers and your constables and your officers ken us well enough when they riv the bits of duds off our backs and take what penny a silver we have and harl us to the correction-house in leith wind and paddle us up with bread and water and sick-like sunkets who is she said the magistrate looking round to some of his people other than a good one sir said one of the city officers shrugging his shoulders and smiling will ye say so said the termagant 
her eye gleaming with impotent fury and i had ye among the figget winds wouldna i set my ten talents in your wasn't face for that very word and she suited the word to the action by spreading out a set of claws resembling those of st george's dragon on a country signpost and what does she want here said the impatient magistrate can she not tell her business or go away it's my bairn it's magdalen murdockson i'm wantin answered the beldam screaming at the highest pitch of her cracked and mistuned voice havena i been tellin ye so this half hour and if ye are deaf what need ye sit cocket up there and keep folks scrawn to you this gate she wants her daughter sir said the same officer whose inference had given the hag such offence before her daughter who was taken up last night madge wildfire as they call her madge wildfire as they call her echoed the beldam and what business has a blackguard like you to call an honest woman's bairn out of her own name an honest woman's bairn maggie answered the peace officer smiling and shaking his head with an ironical emphasis on the adjective and a calmness calculated to provoke to madness the furious old shrew if i am no honest now i was honest once she replied and that's more than ye can say ye born and bred thief that never canned ither folks gear from your own since the day ye was clucket honest say ye ye picket your mother's pouch of twelve pennies scots when ye were five years old just as she was taken leave of your father at the fit of the gallows she has you there george said the assistants and there was a general laugh for the wit was fitted for the meridian of the place where it was uttered this general applause somewhat gratified the passions of the old hag the grim feature smiled and even laughed but it was a laugh of bitter scorn she condescended however as if appeased by the success of her sally to explain her business more distinctly when the magistrate commanding silence again desired her either to speak out her errand or to leave the place her bairn she said was her bairn and she came to fetch her out of ill haft and were guiding if she wasna so wise as ither folk few ither folk had suffered as muckle as she had done for by that she would fend the worse for herself within the four wars of a jail she would prove by fifty witnesses and fifty to that that her daughter had never seen jock porteous alive or dead since he had given her a laundering with his cane the negger that he was for driving a dead cat at the provost's wig on the elector of hanover's birthday notwithstanding the wretched appearance and violent demeanour of this woman the magistrate felt the justice of her argument that her child might be as dear to her as to a more fortunate and more amiable mother he proceeded to investigate the circumstances which had led to madge murdockson's or wildfire's arrest and as it was clearly shown that she had not been engaged in the riot he contented himself with directing that an eye should be kept upon her by the police but that for the present she should be allowed to return home with her mother during the interval of fetching madge from the jail the magistrate endeavoured to discover whether her mother had been privy to the change of dress betwixt that young woman and robertson but on this point he could obtain no light she persisted in declaring that she had never seen robertson since his remarkable escape during service time and that if her daughter had changed clothes with him it must have been during her absence at a hamlet about two miles out of town called duddingstone where she could prove that she passed that eventful night and in fact 
one of the town officers who had been searching for stolen linen at the cottage of a washerwoman in that village gave his evidence that he had seen maggie murdockson there whose presence had considerably increased his suspicion of the house in which she was a visitor in respect that he considered her as a person of no good reputation i told ye so said the hag see now what it is to have a character good or bad now maybe after all i could tell ye something about porteus that you council chamber bodies never could find out for as muckle stir ye make all eyes were turned towards her all ears were alert speak out said the magistrate it will be for your own good insinuated the town clerk dinna keep the bailey waiting urged the assistants she remained doggedly silent for two or three minutes casting around a malignant and sulky glance that seemed to enjoy the anxious suspense with which they waited her answer and then she broke forth at once all that i ken about him is that he was neither soldier nor gentleman but just a thief and a blackguard like most of yourselves dears what will ye give me for that news now he would have served the good town long or provost or bailey would have found that out my joe while these matters were in discussion madge wildfire entered and her first exclamation was eh see if there isna our old never-do-well devil's bucky of a mother hey sirs but we are a hopeful family to be twa of us in the guard at once but there were better days with us once was there no mither old maggie's eyes had glistened with something like an expression of pleasure when she saw her daughter set at liberty but either her natural affection like that of the tigress could not be displayed without a strain of ferocity or there was something in the ideas which madge's speech awakened that again stirred her cross and savage temper what signifies what we were ye street-raking limmer she exclaimed pushing her daughter before her to the door with no gentle degree of violence i'll tell ye that thou is now thou's a crazed hellicat bess of bedlam that sal taste nothing but bread and water for a fortnight to serve ye for the plague ye have given me and over good for ye ye idle toppy madge however escaped from her mother at the door ran back to the foot of the table dropped a very low and fantastic courtesy to the judge and said with a giggling laugh our minnie's sore misset after her ordinar sir she'll have had some quarrel with her old goodman that's satan ye can sirs this explanatory note she gave in a low confidential tone and the spectators of that credulous generation did not hear it without an involuntary shudder the good man and her disna i gree will and then i maun pay the piper but my back's broad enough to bear it all and if she have no havings that's no reason why wiser folk shouldna have some here another deep courtesy when the ungracious voice of her mother was heard madge ye limmer if i come to fetch ye here till her said madge but i'll one out a glyph the night for all that to dance in the moonlight when her and the good man will be worrying through the blue lift on a broomshank to see jean jap that they have puttin until the kirkaldy tolbooth ay they will have a merry sail over inchkeith and over all the bits of bonny waves that are poppling and flashing against the rocks in the gowden glimmer of the moon ye can i'm coming mother i'm coming she concluded on hearing a scuffle at the door 
betwixt the beldam and the officers who were endeavouring to prevent her re-entrance madge then waved her hand wildly towards the ceiling and sung at the topmost pitch of her voice up in the air on my bonny grey mare and i see and i see and i see her yet and with a hop skip and jump sprung out of the room as the witches of macbeth used in less refined days to seem to fly upwards from the stage some weeks intervened before mr middleborough agreeably to his benevolent resolution found an opportunity of taking a walk towards st leonard's in order to discover whether it might be possible to obtain the evidence hinted at in the anonymous letter respecting effie deans in fact the anxious perquisitions made to discover the murderers of porteus occupied the attention of all concerned within the administration of justice in the course of these inquiries two circumstances happened material to our story butler after a close investigation of his conduct was declared innocent of accession to the death of porteus but as having been present during the whole transaction was obliged to find bail not to quit his usual residence at liberton that he might appear as a witness when called upon the other incident regarded the disappearance of madge wildfire and her mother from edinburgh when they were sought with the purpose of subjecting them to some farther interrogatories it was discovered by mr sharpetlaw that they had eluded the observation of the police and left the city so soon as dismissed from the council chamber no efforts could trace the place of their retreat in the meanwhile the excessive indignation of the council of regency at the slight put upon their authority by the murder of porteus had dictated measures in which their own extreme desire of detecting the actors in that conspiracy were consulted in preference to the temper of the people and the character of their churchmen an act of parliament was hastily passed offering two hundred pounds reward to those who should inform against any person concerned in the deed and the penalty of death by a very unusual and severe enactment was denounced against those who should harbour the guilty but what was chiefly accounted exceptionable was a clause appointing the act to be read in churches by the officiating clergyman on the first sunday of every month for a certain period immediately before the sermon the ministers who should refuse to comply with this injunction were declared for the first offence incapable of sitting or voting in any church judicature and for the second incapable of holding any ecclesiastical preferment in scotland this last order united in a common cause those who might privately rejoice in porteus's death though they dared not vindicate the manner of it with the more scrupulous presbyterians who held that even the pronouncing the name of the lord's spiritual in a scottish pulpit was quodamato an acknowledgment of prelacy and that the injunction of the legislature was an interference of the civil government with the jus divinum of presbytery since to the general assembly alone as representing the invisible head of the kirk belonged the sole and exclusive right of regulating whatever pertained to public worship very many also of different political or religious sentiments and therefore not much moved by these considerations thought they saw in so violent an act of parliament a more vindictive spirit than became the legislature of a great country and something like an attempt to trample upon the rights and independence of scotland the various steps adopted for punishing the city of edinburgh by taking away her charter and liberties for what a violent and overmastering mob had done within her walls were resented by many 
who thought a pretext was too hastily taken for degrading the ancient metropolis of scotland in short there was much heart-burning discontent and disaffection occasioned by these ill-considered measures amidst these heats and dissensions the trial of effie deans after she had been many weeks imprisoned was at length about to be brought forward and mr middleborough found leisure to inquire into the evidence concerning her for this purpose he chose a fine day for his walk towards her father's house the excursion into the country was somewhat distant in the opinion of a burgess of those days although many of the present inhabit suburban villas considerably beyond the spot to which we allude three-quarters of an hour's walk however even at a pace of magisterial gravity conducted our benevolent office-bearer to the crags of st leonard's and the humble mansion of david deans the old man was seated on the dais or turf-seat at the end of his cottage busied in mending his cart-harness with his own hands for in those days any sort of labour which required a little more skill than usual fell to the share of the good man himself and that even when he was well to pass in the world with stern and austere gravity he persevered in his task after having just raised his head to notice the advance of the stranger it would have been impossible to have discovered from his countenance and manner the internal feelings of agony with which he contended mr middleborough waited an instant expecting deans would in some measure acknowledge his presence and lead into conversation but as he seemed determined to remain silent he was himself obliged to speak first my name is middleborough mr james middleborough one of the present magistrates of the city of edinburgh it may be so answered deans laconically and without interrupting his labour you must understand he continued that the duty of a magistrate is sometimes an unpleasant one it may be so replied david i have nothing to say in the contraire and he was again doggedly silent you must be aware pursued the magistrate that persons in my situation are often obliged to make painful and disagreeable inquiries of individuals merely because it is their bounden duty it may be so again replied deans i have nothing to say anent it either the toway or t'other but i do ken there was once in a day a just and god-fearing magistrate in yon town of edinburgh that did not bear the sword in vain but were a terror to evil-doers and a praise to such as kept the path in the glorious days of old worthy faithful provost dick when there was a true and faithful general assembly of the kirk walking hand in hand with the real noble scottish-hearted barons and with the magistrates of this and other towns gentles burgesses and commons of all ranks seeing with one eye hearing with one ear and upholding the ark with their united strength and then folk might see men deliver up their silver to the state's use as if it had been as muckle sclate stones my father saw them tomb the sacks of dollars out of provost dick's window until the carts that carried them to the army at dunn's law and if ye winna believe his testimony there is the window itself still standing in the luckin booths i think it's a cleth merchant's booth the day at the airn stanchels five doors aboon gosford's close but now we have not sick spirit among us we think more about the worst wally dragle in our own byre than about the blessing which the angel of the covenant gave to the patriarch even at peniel and mahaname or the binding obligation of our national vows and we would rather give a pund scots to buy an unguent 
to clear out old rannal trees and our beds of the english bugs as they call them than we would give a plaque to rid the land of the swarm of arminian caterpillars scotian pismires and deastical miss Cadies, that have ascended out of the bottomless pit to plague this perverse insidious and lukewarm generation it happened to davy deans on this occasion as it has done to many other habitual orators once when he became embarked on his favourite subject the stream of his own enthusiasm carried him forward in spite of his mental distress while his well-exercised memory supplied him amply with all the types and tropes of rhetoric peculiar to his sect and cause mr middleborough contented himself with answering all this may be very true my friend but as you said just now i have nothing to say to it at present either one way or other you have two daughters i think mr deans the old man winced as one whose smarting sore is suddenly galled but instantly composed himself resumed the work which in the heat of his declamation he had laid down and answered with sullen resolution one daughter sir only one i understand you said mr middleborough you have only one daughter here at home with you but this unfortunate girl who is a prisoner she is i think your youngest daughter the presbyterian sternly raised his eyes after the world and according to the flesh she is my daughter but when she became a child of belial and a company-keeper and a trader in guilt and iniquity she ceased to be a bairn of mine alas mr deans said middleborough sitting down by him and endeavouring to take his hand which the old man proudly withdrew we are ourselves all sinners and the errors of our offspring as they ought not to surprise us being the portion which they derive of a common portion of corruption inherited through us so they do not entitle us to cast them off because they have lost themselves sir said deans impatiently i ken all that as well as i mean to say he resumed checking the irritation he felt at being schooled a discipline of the mind which those most ready to bestow it on others do themselves most reluctantly submit to receive i mean to say that what ye all serve may be just and reasonable but i have no freedom to enter into my own private affairs with strangers and now in this great national emergency when there's the porteous act that has come down from london there is a deeper blow to this poor sinful kingdom and suffering kirk than any that has been heard of since the foul and fatal test at a time like this but good man interrupted mr middleborough you must think of your own household first or else you are worse even than the infidels i tell ye bailey middleborough retorted david deans if ye be a bailey as there is little honour in being one in these evil days i tell ye i heard the gracious saunders peden i wotna when it was but it was in killing time when the ploughers were drawing along their furrows on the back of the kirk of scotland i heard him tell his hearers good and wailed christians they were too that some of them would greet more for a bit drowned calf or stirk than for all the defections and oppressions of the day and that they were some of them thinking of one thing some of another and there was lady hundleslope thinking of greeting jock at the fireside and the lady confessed in my hearing that a drow of anxiety had come over her for her son that she had left at home weak of a decay and what would he have said of me if i had ceased to think of the good cause for a castaway um, it kills me to think of what she is 
but the life of your child good man think of that if her life could be saved said middleborough her life exclaimed david i wouldna give one of my grey hairs for her life if her good name be gone and yet said he relenting and retracting as he spoke i would make the niffer mr middleborough i would give all these grey hairs that she has brought to shame and sorrow i would give the old head they grow on for her life and that she might have time to amend and return for what have the wicked beyond the breath of their nostrils but i will never see her more no that that i am determined in i'll never see her more his lips continued to move for a minute after his voice ceased to be heard as if he were repeating the same vow internally well sir said mr middleborough i speak to you as a man of sense if you would save your daughter's life you must use human means i understand what you mean but mr novit who is the procurator and doer of an honourable person the laird of dumbiedykes is to do what carnal wisdom can do for her in the circumstances myself am not clear to trinket and traffic with courts of justice as they are now constituted i have a tenderness and scruple in my mind anent them that is to say said middleborough that you are a cameronian and do not acknowledge the authority of our courts of judicature or present government sir under your favour replied david who was too proud of his own polemical knowledge to call himself the follower of any one ye take me up before i fall down i cannot see why i should be termed a cameronian especially now that ye have given the name of that famous and savoury sufferer not only until a regimental band of soldiers whereof i am told many can now curse swear and use profane language as fast as ever richard cameron could preach or pray but also because ye have in so far as it is in your power rendered that martyr's name vain and contemptible by pipes drums and fifes playing the vain carnal spring called the cameronian rant which too many professors of religion dance to a practice most unbecoming a professor to dance to any tune whatsoever more especially promiscuously that is with the female sex a brutish fashion it is whilk is the beginning of defection with many as i may have as muckle cause as most folk to testify well but mr deans replied mr middleborough i only meant to say that you were a cameronian or macmillanite one of the society people in short who think it inconsistent to take oaths under a government where the covenant is not ratified sir replied the controversialist who forgot even his present distress in such discussions as these you cannot fickle me so easily as you do opine i am not a macmillanite or a russellite or a hamiltonian or a harleyite or a howdenite i will be led by the nose by none i will take my name as a christian from no vessel of clay i have my own principles and practice to answer for and am an humble pleader for the good old cause in a legal way that is to say mr deans said middleborough that you are a deanite and you have opinions peculiar to yourself it may please you to say so said david deans but i have maintained my testimony before as great folk and in sharper times and though i will neither exalt myself nor pull down others i wish every man and woman in this land had kept the true testimony and the middle and straight path as it were on the ridge of a hill 
where wind and water shears avoiding right-hand snares and extremes and left-hand way-slidings as well as johnny dodds of farthing's acre and one man more that shall be nameless i suppose replied the magistrate that is as much as to say that johnny dodds of farthing's acre and david deans of st leonard's constitute the only members of the true real unsophisticated kirk of scotland god forbid that i should make sick a vainglorious speech when there are so many professing christians answered david but this i maun say that all men act according to their gifts and their grace so that it is no marvel that this is all very fine interrupted mr middleborough but i have no time to spend in hearing it the matter in hand is this i have directed a citation to be lodged in your daughter's hands if she appears on the day of trial and gives evidence there is reason to hope she may save her sister's life if from any constrained scruples about the legality of her performing the office of an affectionate sister and a good subject by appearing in a court held under the authority of the law and government you become the means of deterring her from the discharge of this duty i must say though the truth may sound harsh in your ears that you who gave life to this unhappy girl will become the means of her losing it by a premature and violent death so saying mr middleborough turned to leave him bide a wee bide a wee mr middleborough said deans in great perplexity and distress of mind but the bailey who was probably sensible that protracted discussion might diminish the effect of his best and most forcible argument took a hasty leave and declined entering further into the controversy deans sunk down upon his seat stunned with a variety of conflicting emotions it had been a great source of controversy among those holding his opinions in religious matters how far the government which succeeded the revolution could be without sin acknowledged by true presbyterians seeing that it did not recognize the great national testimony of the solemn league and covenant and latterly those agreeing in this general doctrine and assuming the sounding title of the anti-popish anti-prelatic anti-erastian anti-sectarian true presbyterian remnant were divided into many petty sects among themselves even as to the extent of submission to the existing laws and rulers which constituted such an acknowledgment as amounted to sin at a very stormy and tumultuous meeting held in sixteen eighty two to discuss these important and delicate points the testimonies of the faithful few were found utterly inconsistent with each other it affords a singular and melancholy example how much a metaphysical and polemical spirit had crept in amongst these unhappy sufferers since amid so many real injuries which they had to sustain they were disposed to add disagreement and disunion concerning the character and extent of such as were only imaginary the place where this conference took place was remarkably well adapted for such an assembly it was a wild and very sequestered dell in tweedale surrounded by high hills and far remote from human habitation a small river or rather a mountain torrent called the tala breaks down the glen with great fury dashing successively over a number of small cascades which has procured the spot the name of tala lins here the leaders among the scattered adherents to the covenant men who in their banishment from human society and in the recollection 
of the seventies to which they had been exposed had become at once sullen in their tempers and fantastic in their religious opinions met with arms in their hands and by the side of the torrent discussed with a turbulence which the noise of the stream could not drown points of controversy as empty and unsubstantial as its foam it was the fixed judgment of most of the meeting that all payment of cess or tribute to the existing government was utterly unlawful and a sacrificing to idols about other impositions and degrees of submission there were various opinions and perhaps it is the best illustration of the spirit of those military fathers of the church to say that while all allowed it was impious to pay the cess employed for maintaining the standing army and militia there was a fierce controversy on the lawfulness of paying the duties levied at ports and bridges for maintaining roads and other necessary purposes that there were some who repugnant to these imposts for turnpikes and pontages were nevertheless free in conscience to make payment of the usual freight at public ferries and that a person of exceeding and punctilious zeal james russell one of the slayers of the archbishop of st andrews had given his testimony with great warmth even against this last faint shade of subjection to constituted authority this ardent and enlightened person and his followers had also great scruples about the lawfulness of bestowing the ordinary names upon the days of the week and the months of the year which savoured in their nostrils so strongly of paganism that at length they arrived at the conclusion that those who owned such names as monday tuesday january february and so forth served themselves heirs to the same if not greater punishment than had been denounced against the idolaters of old david deans had been present on this memorable occasion although too young to be a speaker among the polemical combatants his brain however had been thoroughly heated by the noise clamour and metaphysical ingenuity of the discussion and it was a controversy to which his mind had often returned and though he carefully disguised his vacillation from others and perhaps from himself he had never been able to come to any precise line of decision on the subject in fact his natural sense had acted as a counterpoi to his controversial zeal he was by no means pleased with the quiet and indifferent manner in which king william's government slurred over the errors of the times when far from restoring the presbyterian kirk to its former supremacy they passed an act of oblivion even to those who had been its persecutors and bestowed on many of them titles favors and employments when in the first general assembly which succeeded the revolution an overture was made for the revival of the league and covenant it was with horror that douce david heard the proposal eluded by the men of carnal wit and policy as he called them as being inapplicable to the present times and not falling under the modern model of the church the reign of queen anne had increased his conviction that the revolution government was not one of the true presbyterian complexion but then more sensible than the bigots of his sect he did not confound the moderation and tolerance of these two reigns with the active tyranny and oppression exercised in those of charles the second and james the second the presbyterian form of religion though deprived of the weight formerly attached to its sentences of excommunication and compelled to tolerate the coexistence of episcopacy and of sects of various descriptions was still the national church and though the glory of the second temple was far inferior 
to that which had flourished from sixteen thirty nine till the battle of dunbar still it was a structure that wanting the strength and the terrors retained at least the form and symmetry of the original model then came the insurrection in seventeen fifty and david dean's horror for the revival of the popish and prelatical faction reconciled him greatly to the government of king george although he grieved that the monarch might be suspected of a leaning unto erastianism in short moved by so many different considerations he had shifted his ground at different times concerning the degree of freedom which he felt in adopting any act of immediate acknowledgment or submission to the present government which however mild and paternal was still uncovenanted and now he felt himself called upon by the most powerful motive conceivable to authorize his daughters giving testimony in a court of justice which all who have been since called cameronians accounted a step of lamentable and direct defection the voice of nature however exclaimed loud in his bosom against the dictates of fanaticism and his imagination fertile in the solution of polemical difficulties devised an expedient for extricating himself from the fearful dilemma in which he saw on the one side a falling off from principle and on the other a scene from which a father's thoughts could not but turn in shuddering horror i have been constant and unchanged in my testimony said david deans but then who has said it of me that i have judged my neighbour over closely because he hath had more freedom in his walk than i have found in mine i never was a separatist nor for quarrelling with tender souls about mint cumin or other the lesser tithes my daughter jean may have a light in this subject that is hid from my old eye it is laid on her conscience and not on mine if she hath freedom to gang before this judicatory and hold up her hand for this poor castaway surely i will not say she steppeth over her bounds and if not he paused in this mental argument while a pang of unutterable anguish convulsed his features yet shaking it off he firmly resumed the strain of his reasoning and if not god forbid that she should go into defection at bidding of mine i wouldna fret the tender conscience of one bairn no not to save the life of the other a roman would have devoted his daughter to death from different feelings and motives but not upon a more heroic principle of duty End of chapter 17th